Welcome to Bonus Features. Some might call them supplemental material, but they're so much more than that. This is the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, critics, academics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me this week is Brett Arnold, New York film critic and podcast host of The New Flesh and Roger and Me, to talk about all the shit we saw at a recent run of film fests. Smile, Decision to Leave, The Banshees of Inishirin, Bones and All, they're all here and briefly dissected for your pleasure. So sit back and listen to me and Brett kick it about our journeys back into the Film Fest breach. And we are joined by Brett Arnold. We are talking about all things Fantastic Fest today. Brett, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And now this is interesting because this is kind of a hybrid, we'll say, of, of festival coverage because I was here in Austin, Texas. I, I attended uh, Fantastic Fest at the Alamo Draft House South of Mar, but you were doing it uh, remotely, correct? I was, yes, I did it remotely from my home in Queens, New York, and it happened to coincide with my first time getting COVID. So I was Jesus. able to sit, <laughs> I was able to, I mean, I was actually at a very mild case. I was totally fine, but that allowed me to watch, God, probably like 18 to 20 movies from this festival. <laughs> and it, it was interesting because it, I, I'm not glad that you brought up COVID because A, you <laughs> yeah. had it and B, I'm just done talking about COVID after the last yeah. like 19 years of experiencing it. Absolutely. Um, but I think for me, this was my first boots on the ground film festival experience I've had since the pandemic. I mean, I went to uh, one of the exhumed 24 hour film uh, marathons last year and i think that would i guess essentially be my first film festival and then i went yeah. to x-fest uh their annual exploitation marathon this year but this was the first like traditional film fest that i'd attended and i wouldn't i don't know i'd be lying if i said that i didn't have some kind of anxiety going into it not because of like masks or anything but i was just curious and maybe that's a better term is not anxiety, but curiosity as to how everything was going to be handled. What was a film festival going to look like after COVID? How are people going to react? Were people going to be masking? What were the safety precautions and everything? And I'm here to report. It just felt like normal Fantastic Fest. Like there wasn't there were some folks with masks, but it was mostly just the, the festival as I remembered it. It was a little more low key. Than in previous years, because I believe this was like my 10th or 11th. I, I lost track yeah. of how many I've attended, but like it, it was it, it was a little more low key than in the past. But like it was still it just felt like, you know, classic Fantastic Fest. Yeah. And from my perspective as a remote uh, attendee, it I think, you know, in COVID, they had done a couple. I had attended a bunch of remote festivals and there was a period where like, like the New York Film Festival, which is happening right now in New York and I'm attending in person, when COVID happened and at first happened and they did the 2020 edition, they really did it at home and were like, we're not gonna compromise our selections. We're gonna like, you know, Nomadland was one of their centerpieces and that debuted like really early at the festival and that was all online. And then now I feel like the festivals are like splitting the difference. So like they're back in person, right? 
but they also are like, well, there's all this revenue now to be made from having a remote portion. And like maybe Fantastic Fest was ahead of the curve on that because I know they have the Draft House app and stuff. I'm not sure if that was how recent that is, but they me, did it last yeah. year too. They did a okay. remote remote version of it on that Draft House app that was not as let's say robust. Yeah, as it I was, was this year. I'm yeah, I'm ultimately trying to pay Fantastic Fest a compliment for this year because. I mean, I had options, man. I had tons of options of stuff to watch. And it felt like, you know, more like that New York Film Festival in 2020, where they're like, here's a bunch of stuff you can watch. And it actually would have been the festival anyway. Whereas a lot of them feel like, you know, the festival is still happening in person. There's a hybrid online model, but you really need to be there for it to be like the festival, like all the big stuff you need to see there. And like, that was mildly true of this. Like the, some of the big selections that you probably saw that were what, like the Banshees of Anishirin and decision uh, the, to leave decision to leave the menu. And like, because of my New York film critic contacts, I was able to set up New York screenings for those uh, tied to the festival, which they were happy to do. And I think they were doing anyway. So I really, I feel like I got a full experience. And by the way, of course the screenings happened before I got COVID. Um, but yeah, and once that happened, I just stayed at home and there was the Fantastic Fest, as I mentioned, the app or the Draft House app. And there's a Fantastic Fest section on there. And there were probably 30 plus movies available there. And when, and when you're covering remotely, they give you like the master press list as well as that uh, screener docu or the screener home or whatever. So I had all those accessible plus about probably 10 to 15 more that I got just, you know, linked out from the studio or whatever. So really shout out to whoever handles all the fantastic fest stuff on that side, because as a remote person, I was really able to cover it extensively. And that is not the case for a lot of stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, which is great because like Sundance has felt like the one that's been far ahead of the curve. where like everything is just yeah. online there. Yes. Like you could, like there was no skipping out on the big centerpiece titles and stuff. Um, and this one, like you said, like you weren't like, if you had the contacts, you could basically do the full uh, range of titles, you know, from big to like very micro budget indie stuff to even like they have the repertory stuff on the, the yeah. online uh, section because they did a, a shark movie sidebar this year, uh, which funnily enough, uh, we had done a shark movie episode like a month or two ago. Oh, yeah. and most Brutal. of our selections were actually in their sidebar, which me and Martin found kind of cute. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that's perfect. But this year, like you, you did have a great mix. Like you really could, if you, again, if you had the contacts, you could do the entire festival remotely. Now you miss out on, let's say yeah. the, the trademark fantastic fest shenanigans, which Frankly, as a guy who's about to turn 40 this year, I'm somewhat yeah. tired on. Like, I don't yeah. need to see him, Tim League get into a boxing league, like ring and like fight sure. somebody anymore. I, I yeah. never was a huge uh, fan of like the big, raucous, fantastic debates or whatever. Like, I always went there for the movies. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. Exactly. But it was I'm, it was still cool to go drink with a bunch of people that I only see like once or twice a year, too. So like that yeah. part was nice. That's the good stuff that I missed. And like also, you know, seeing Smile premiere there on opening night with a crowd, you know, different experience than the screening I had in New York City. And like that goes for, did you see Terrifier 2? Oh, no, you, did, I think you actually screened that one. 
but I saw I, that I, one before. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it, did it play there? Am I wrong? It did. Okay. It yeah. Premieres. Like, seeing that there in a theater would have been an entirely different experience than me watching it at home. And I wish I had been there. There's a lot of moments like that. So you definitely still have the FOMO, but uh, you know, it's nice to pretend. It was, it was nice to pretend I was attending a fantastic fest from my couch yeah, you, while I just like <laughs> devotedly watched so many movies for like two weeks. I just couldn't stop watching them because I'm like, well, they're there and they're disappearing. So I better watch them before they go. Right. Well, let's talk about smile really briefly, because like sure. one of the cool things about this movie is that like people have seen it now, like it literally premiered and then it came out in theaters about a week after fantastic fest. What did you think of Smile? Because it felt like, at least from, again, a boots-on-the-ground perspective, the reaction here was muted is probably oh, really? the best word to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, I went to one of those. It was definitely a press screening that was like, it's one of those press screenings where it's like also what I would call like a radio screening, where like it's like free yeah. tickets to a bunch of people who, like I think they over, they, you know, give a bunch of tickets out for on the radio or whatever. And expect they like rope off the first three sections for them and the rest of it's for press. So like that, those types of crowds, I feel like are self-selected and always like pretty like the, the, the people the studio want there because they'll be raucous and like they're there for the free movie. They get their free popcorn and free soda. I feel like they're primed to really enjoy the movie. So I was in that crowd. And the crowd did enjoy it. And it was it was actually a pretty fun theatrical experience. So I'm actually I'm surprised to hear that it was more muted at Fantastic Fest. That's really interesting. But I, I like the movie. I thought it was, you know, it, it's really just literalizing modern horror's obsession with trauma and distilling that idea into a mainstream studio jump scare vehicle. But thankfully, like, it doesn't sound that great, but I think it, you know, it's just like, it, it's very indebted to the ring. It's very indebted to It Follows. And like, I, I appreciated that it goes harder than you'd expect it to. It's definitely like using that R rating in fun ways. The premise itself is so fucking dour. Uh, and it has a really, a couple, a couple really inspired moments and, and memorable imagery. Even if I think it was you who said, like, it narratively fumbles the ball in the third act. And you, you can't really argue with that. I think it definitely does. But I had a really good time, and this is such a stupid thing to say, but it's it's wild how much Sosie Bacon is the spitting image of both of her parents. It was very distracting to me, the whole movie, being like, that's Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon's daughter, and it is very clear. But that is how genetics work, so that is not part of the movie review. I just had to point that out. It's Brundlefly Bacon right <laughs> yeah, now. because 100%. It's... But yeah, I... I like this movie uh, a good deal, mostly because of, as you just said, it goes hard. It, it felt decidedly mean spirited for oh, yeah. a studio film. Like it's real gnarly at times. Totally. And I appreciated how like it has this whole gimmick that was the whole, you know, the whole gimmick of like, the, I don't know, I would say the first half of the movie or two thirds of the movie and like definitely central to the marketing campaign. And I almost appreciated how it shunts it off to the side at the end just to do some really scary shit. Yeah, it becomes almost like a cabin in the woods movie by the end. And again, that's yeah. the the part of it to where I was like, ah, it feels like you're you're straining to wrap this up a bit, but like oh for sure it ends yeah. on such like a, a grim note that I was like, all right, props for just like kind of sticking to the bit, let's say. Exactly, exactly. I just appreciate the gall of it, even if like I'm freely admitting that like it does not 
follow through on its central premise in a in a super satisfying way. It just kind of it peters out. I mean, peters out is the wrong word because it doesn't peter out. It just turns into something different in the third act. And I thought it worked, but I definitely I could see the people who were like, I I think my other show and I reviewed it. We my co-host talked about wanting a more traditional i feel like he wanted a more traditional like a24 trauma movie style ending and like i'm glad that it didn't have one of those you know yeah it almost plays like parody to a degree to where it's kind of taking the piss out of those movies because it's almost like what if yep <laughs> what what if we made a whole movie to where like it's like verbinski light it's like the ring where but there's no haunted videotape there's no curse there's no nothing it's just like you see something awful and then that affects you and you die in seven days go and it's like all right sure and like (laughs) they really they really mine that premise for about as dark as you can get it's like really like heavy suicide imagery and the suicides kind of you know spreading it's 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 grim stuff for an r-rated studio com or comedy a studio horror movie from uh paramount and i apparently it was a i noticed it had a paramount players logo and then my buddy told me that it was supposed to be a streaming thing that tested really well and then they put it out in theaters so that's always interesting i'd heard that too um so let's fly through the bigger titles too because uh I, i feel like that's the the stuff that you really attended like the film festival in person to see and you were lucky enough to catch a lot of them yes. in uh press screenings what'd you think of the menu the menu was maybe the biggest surprise of the festival for me and maybe even of the year because my perspective is i actually avoid horror trailers like like the plague like i'll be sitting in a movie and a horror trailer will play i will put my mask over my face if i have one i just won't watch it so like i didn't know what it was about I, you know, I knew the title. I knew that like Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy were in it. Didn't know anything about it. Had an idea of what it was about. And while my idea of what it was about was kind of correct, it still surprised me the whole time. And it's one of those movies where I feel like it absolutely shouldn't work at all considering how one joke the entire premise is. But it really transcends that. And it really had me laughing the entire time because it's not really about the premise that you think it's about. Um, it's like the satire by way of the American Psycho Dorcia opening scenes turned into a feature. Uh, it's such an easy target to like target. Uh, basically, it's like a class comedy targeting the rich via the food scene. And, um, you know, I would definitely say it's more comedy than horror, but caveat, like, not to hamstring it, it definitely has horror moments and is also goes harder than you'd think at times. Um, and like, I thought I knew what that impending horror was going to be. And I was, I'm delighted to say that I was wrong. (laughs) It's a very clever movie that I thought, you know, was really about artistry and pretension and fandom and obsession under the guise of like a satire about food. And it, it works, man. It has shocking moments. It's the black comedy works. Uh, the three leads are really good. And the rest of the ensemble is terrific. Hong Chow. So funny in this. Um, and if you don't leave that movie craving a cheeseburger, I cannot relate to you in any way because that's all I can think about still. I will say this movie, I enjoyed it quite a bit myself. Um, I, I do find it funny both in the reactions to smile and this movie is that with smile, 
Yeah, more after the festival than anything with a lot of people on Twitter and stuff were basically commenting. They're like, oh, this movie's just like a big, dumb horror movie. And I was like, well, I thought there were some smarts to it. And that's kind of interesting. Where like the menu was one of these movies with a bunch of people, even like the intro, uh, Lisa Dreyer, who is the the programming head there um, and festival director. She came in with all of these adjectives being like, oh, it's this class satire and it's really smart and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's really about taking the piss out of the, the rich people. And, you know, it's from the a co-creator of Succession. And yes. I'm like, oh, yes. I was kind of getting like set up for a movie that I don't think it really is. Like to me, this yeah. is the dumb movie because like yeah. I, I, and I say that as somebody who likes it because I watched it and I was like, oh, this is just theater of blood with uh, yeah. well, like the culinary world version of it with Ray Fiennes doing like a Vincent Price thing. Yeah. Fine by correct. me. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. I, I appreciate the unpretentiousness about it. And it's funny to hear that it was kind of dressed up in that pretentious way. And I guess it kind of, that's interesting, right? Cause it is shot in a way that is like pretentious. Right. But like, that's kind right. of part of, it's kind of baked in to what it's doing like the satire, so so, uh, so to speak. So like, it kind of looks glossier and classier than it is. And I think that's why we, you and I both like it more than other people probably will. Yeah, and a lot of people, it was a fest favorite. I know that it polled really high at the festival I and got a it. lot of it, audience votes. It's crowd pleasy it in that way. Yeah. It's fun. And Anya Taylor-Joy is such a fun lead in this. Like, I feel like she's off to the side too often and she's really good in this. Yeah, Nicholas Holt plays a, a really oh, yeah. good douchebag in it. Terrific, terrific douchebag. Um, did you see Decision to Leave yet? I did. I actually caught that at the New York Film Festival last week at the press screening. I think it's playing this weekend. Um, holy shit, that movie. Did you love it? I didn't. You I didn't? Am, no, I'm one of the outliers on this one to where, like, I was... It's weird. Can you watch a movie... And I guess be completely impressed by it technically and formally while also being wildly bored by it, because that's how I felt the entire time to where it was one of those things. And maybe I was exhausted because it was like the 20 something like movie that I'd seen at the festival at this point. And I wondered if like maybe I was just not in the right headspace to watch it. But the whole time, the you know, one part of my brain was going. Oh, it's Shamu Park. Like this looks amazing. It's every shot is perfect. The the leads are are great. The romance is cool. Uh, you know, everything about this screams like this is a great movie. And then the other part of my brain was like, right, but can we wrap this up? Like this is this is going kind of long, and like I'm I'm a little bored, and like I kind of knew where it was going the whole time, and like that ending didn't hit you. Yeah, that that I just had the the it was the weird like knife fight happening between the intelligence side of my brain and the this the other side of my brain that was like maybe maybe I I want to go out and just have a beer. Yeah, I know a lot of people whose reaction to this movie was like it had me and then it lost me, but that ending got me back, but I didn't love it. And like that ending's great. The ending is genuinely great. I appreciated this movie that was like it felt like uh Park Chan Wook and like Hitchcock mode or like, oh, yeah. you know, noir mode. And I love the like kinetic editing that like 
it makes it gives the film a really interesting look. I don't know if there's anything like to the camera work, you know, I just thought it looked really nice. Um, I found it really funny. Uh, it was it was like I feel like this was a day where I saw three movies in a row and like I was, you know, not looking forward to that part of it. And uh, I ended up really delighted by it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I could say about it. Uh, you know, I've seen so many movies. It's like <laughs> hard to hard. Well, to and that's kind of yeah. that's part of the, the, what I'm saying too with the whole like maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace because like this happened to me with The Witch when it played at Fantastic Fest too, is because The Witch was something like the 27th or 28th movie I'd seen in the midst of the festival. Caught it on the second screening the same way that I caught Decision to Leave. And like, by that point, my brain was just so frazzled that I was like, can I even put thoughts together about this? Because like, people love it, but I'm like, uh, bored. So. Yeah, right on. What are you going to do? Sometimes the festival onslaught fries you a bit. It definitely does. Like, I actually, this was my second week of New York Film Festival, and I should have gone every day. And I went like one day this week because of honestly, my schedule, my schedule got crazy. But after what I did to myself at Fantastic Fest, and honestly, um, it starts, I feel like Fantastic Fest, there's definitely hidden gems in there. And there's really great stuff. But I mean, I'm sure you talk about this on every festival episode you're watching 90% like two and a half, three star movies and like a right. lot of them, a lot of them and like an onslaught of them. And it gets really tiresome. And I hit a point every year where if I, until I get a good one, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. I hate festivals. This is a waste of my time. And I, I would say the hit ratio was, was better at this festival than most. But at the same time, I watched so many that I still watched a lot that I think were not worth my time. Yeah. And it's not even that they're not worth your time. It's almost that you're just, you, you sit there, you go, well, I've, uh, your, your main reaction is, well, I've seen that movie now. Like, yep, do I have exactly. any thoughts beyond that? <laughs> not yeah, really. no, I feel that way about a lot of them, honestly. So what's after decision to leave in terms of big stuff? Banshees of Inishirin? Yeah, probably. That's probably the next big one that I also happen to catch. That one. Okay, so happened, you've seen yeah. that one too. Yeah, I have. What'd you think of that? I loved it, man. Not to get too personal, but a few months into the pandemic, after a like particularly friendly time that saw me and a particular friend FaceTiming every night and hanging out and smoking and doing whatever. He was my best friend of many, many years. And he, a few months into the pandemic, just abruptly cut me and my wife off, ghosted us with no explanation. And, you know, that's allowed me to spend literal years now wondering what the fuck happened. And what I would give for the simple pleasure of having the closure of him telling me to my face that he just doesn't like me anymore. So this movie really hit me in a particular place and I expected it to like wreck me, but like it was more laugh out loud, hilarious uh, than that. But it also is existentially very sad (laughs) and it's definitely both of those things. It's, you know, petty grievances telling the story of the human condition is what this movie is about. And the backdrop of the Civil War works perfectly. Colin Farrell's incredible. Brendan Gleeson's incredible. Uh, the third lead, uh, uh, Carrie Condon is incredible. Barry Keegan is incredible. I love this movie so much. I'm In Bruges is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I was already primed to like it, but it, it, it rocks. 
Yeah, I've been a huge fan of McDonough's ever since he was just a playwright. So, yeah. like, and this movie feels, out of like, all of them, the most like one of his plays. Absolutely. It feels very, it, it, I was surprised to hear that he didn't adapt it from one of his own plays. I was surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Well, because he has a couple other plays that, you know, basically take place within Inishirin and stuff. So it's, it's, worth i mean what a beautiful what also i haven't mentioned like what a beautiful fucking location just like the photography of this island in ireland it's unbelievable you've never seen anything like it but it the one thing I'll, i'll say in terms of like the existential side of it is i don't have quite the personal response that you do with the the recent experience with your friend yeah yeah but i do have um I did connect actually and maybe too much to Brendan Gleeson's character because the, the, his big kind of, uh, let's say quandary at hand with his falling out with his best friend is that it's almost like what parts of our lives feel like a waste of time and who within our life, like almost feels like they might be wasting your time, no matter how, pleasurable or whatever those little interactions might be it's almost like could i be doing something better and that is something that i wrestle with just kind of in my life on a daily basis to where it's almost like this is great and all but like can i apply myself in a different way can i create something more if i gave up this part of my life or that part of my life and like that was the the moment in it to where i found kind of my greatest connection or at least my greatest like emotional in let's say while also wrestling with the idea of like does that make me a bad person because it's almost like because i love the whole the whole uh dilemma at the center of the movie of like what's the difference between like importance versus like niceties like is it like does it matter to to value like something that you intellectually connect with more beyond like also just the fact that like sometimes it's just good to be nice to people like sometimes it's good to just have friends that you're like yeah like we talk about stuff that's in your pony shite but like it's pleasurable and like we're just nice like it's there's also yeah there's also that that thread for colin's character about everyone thinking he's an idiot and like, and then he, you know, starts to think, you know, am I an idiot type of thing? And like, it, it I just found it kind of overwhelming in, in a good way. Like, I was really blown away by this. It's definitely my favorite of his movies since In Bruges. Um, yeah. And like, also like, it has huge laughs. Like the crowd I saw it with was laughing the whole time. And it's amazing that it can pull that off while also like landing the emotional stuff the way it does, which I think it really does nail all that stuff. Well, and also his addiction to this very uh, brutal darkness with like the, the finger cutting and like the key like yeah. throws grotesqueries into his work. And that that's part of what makes it so shocking is that like, I hesitate to call it like almost like Tarantino esque or whatever, but he has the same kind of relationship to a shocking level of violence that like throws you off to where you're like, Oh my God, this man is literally cutting his fingers off. Like this is yes. disgusting. And then in, yeah. in the middle of this otherwise like serene play about uh, 
values and morals. And that's quite, as you pointed out, quite funny and honestly quite quotable. The Mozart line, like I've already said that to people before in like just my daily life where the whole thing of like, can you, can you remember anybody from the 19th century who was nice? But everybody can can quote Mozart to you, and he just looks at it and goes, "Well, I can't." So there goes that theory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I've, I've used that already because it's just like all of McDonough's work. Like he's just so good with even like the quick quips that you, yeah, you, you, it, it's hard to not if you have any kind of appreciated or appreciation for writing whatsoever. Like it's hard not to just sit there and kind of marvel at the fact that you're like, oh yeah, you're, you're better than 98% of like the people who will ever be born at just writing dialogue. Yeah, man. And like the way he tinges it all with like, it's all, it does get at the human condition through all this really dark stuff. And usually through dialogue, he's, he's one of the great melancholy to it. Yeah. Deep melancholy. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the biggest laugh in the movie. And I feel like it's the first time he goes into a confession and, and the, conf- and the, you're waiting for the priest and he eventually brings up like, why, aren't, why aren't you friends with Colin anymore? <laughs> or yeah. whatever it is. And if, that, that shit is so goddamn funny. Uh, the movie's great. Can't recommend it enough. I feel like not to Oscar prognosticate, but you know, that's you where I was going to ask next though. You hope that it gets what screenplay, shit i i would love to see it get like cinematography and shit like that and director but i mean i shit that, that's not crazy to say i forgot about three billboards and how much the oscars love that movie yeah and now how everybody seemingly hates it i yeah. still really like that movie but it was another yeah. one that it felt like uh there's always one that manufactures some kind of controversy around it and that one i i've always been kind of baffled by people turning on it because i'm like it's still fucking good like i don't yeah. i don't understand like you might not like problematic elements of it but like it it's still martin mcdonough McDonough rules yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm with you i'm with you on that now what about to to kind of i guess close out the the bigger uh titles at the festival triangle of sadness which was the closing yes. night movie we both really like this yes i caught this at the new york film festival as well and man, this was a fun one to see in a theater with a bunch of people. Uh, we were all laughing. Uh, is it was it Parasite that that incited this eat the rich subgenre or does it predate that? I know like there's plenty of genre examples like Ready or Not and plenty be up before that. But like it feels like Parasite was like a breakthrough mainstream moment. And there's so many Parasite esque movies, at least in terms of themes. Uh, maybe but I, yeah but this this feel like ostland is like he's created his own sort of like subgenre unto himself like even to going back to like force majeure and stuff there's some eat the rich stuff in there to where it's not even eat the rich it's more just about like how we again what we sort of like value in our lives and how people want themselves to be represented and everything but like he keeps kind of sliding off the rails into more oblique territory because like this is way more in line with the square than it is is with uh force majeure because force majeure for his arty and and kind of highbrow as that movie uh, sells itself off as being like, it's still pretty linear. Like, it, it's a pretty, 
accessible A to B to C like storyline within that kind of family and their dilemma that happens after that avalanche. But the square is doing something that's closer to this because it's more like Bunyell esque like satire. It's it's bigger and it's more uh, intellectual and frankly doesn't seem to care whether or not the audience is on board with it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of like which section of this movie is best, you know, like it has like the vomit, the vomit one. Yeah. Yeah. The vomit is the funniest dude. It is. It's so stupid. Cause like, I'm trying to think of like biggest laughs and it's, it feels embarrassing to admit like, Oh, it's that moment when the lady, everyone's vomiting and this lady's about to vomit and she's being offered water and she refuses water and she keeps chugging more, uh, champagne. And then she just fucking vomits everywhere. And like, why is that scene so fucking funny? Like, it seems like it's the most bottom of the barrel, easy to target shit. But it works so well, I think, because the way it's shot and the way the movie's structured. But I don't I, I can't explain why I like this movie so much, because I feel like the def- anytime I read like a negative review, I'm like, yeah, OK, that was that's not I don't disagree with any of that, but I still enjoyed it very much. It's not like. It, it, I don't know. What is it about that? Is it the easy targetness that I'm, I'm I'm annoyed by? There's something to it that I'm just like annoyed by how much I liked it, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it's tough to hate a movie, in my opinion, when like Woody Harrelson is the guy that oh. you bring off the bench to just yeah. basically give you like 20 to 30 minutes of really solid, uh, high-minded comedy. And then it's like, now nah, he just goes back to his cabin. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, the section of the movie that I actually struggle with the most is the opening stuff, all the model stuff and that relationship and everything. That was, those were the parts where I was like, where are we going with this? Like what, like this doesn't seem like it, it really has a whole lot on its mind or is really kind of approaching anything that I really found that engaging. It wasn't until we're actually on the ship that I was like, Oh, okay. We're just creating a microcosm here and doing something really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I feel like I'm going to cautiously recommend it to, to, to people, but yeah. I also, it, it's very crowd pleasy and fun. And like, I think there are some who, you know, might find it exhausting and, and overstaying it's welcome, but I was never it is bored. almost three hours. It is very long, but I was never bored. And like the way it's structured kept me engaged for sure. I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, as far as like easy target satire goes, it's not, you're not going to do better than that. Now, are we missing anything here? Were there any other big titles that we've skipped over? I feel like we covered them all. Um, I had a list pulled up. Let me pull it back up and see what we're missing in terms of the big ones. No, I think, I think that was all the big ones. And you said you already did an episode on, um, Terrifier 2, which was a big one for me, but I don't know yeah, if that that's, a big one for at, the world. <laughs> we're actually throwing throwing that one up with an interview uh, with Damien Leone awesome. um, because honestly, like when Terrifier 2 was uh, thrown into the mix and I saw it, it as part of the festival lineup, I scratched my head a touch and then I saw the running time and I really scratched my head. Yeah, I had to triple check the running time, which is like two and a half. 
220. But still, right. it's a fucking DIY indie slasher yeah, movie. It should be 76 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the first one was like about 80. So they, they like know. 83. Yeah. yeah. And the, the first one feels like, you know, 45 minutes of movie stretched out to feature length. So when I when it was like, oh, this one's going to be 140, you're like, oh, my God. But honestly, I loved it. Like, I, I really like this film. I've watched it twice uh, since the festival. And like, I just I find it so gross and upsetting and kind of, again, committed to its own bit. And that that feels like the real through line to Fantastic Fest this year. Movies that are like, I'm going to do a thing. And you're either going to be on board with the thing or you're not. But like, either way, get the fuck out of our way. And, you know, and you either buy in whole hog to tear something like Terrifier 2 or you're just like, well, you walk out 30 minutes in and go, well, what, what's in the next time slot? Right. I can't get over the fact that it just play as of the, the recording time last night, Terrifier played nationwide across the country in AMC Regals and Cinemarks. And, and seems to be selling pretty well. Selling very well. Definitely in New York City, I saw it was selling well. In LA, it was selling well. I'm sure in between, it was also selling well. There are sickos everywhere. And I would love if that movie cleans up at the quote-unquote specialty box office or whatever. I think it's actually playing again this weekend. Um, it is. The, the idea of like an unsuspecting person stumbling in brings me such fucking joy. I can't imagine... like. It's truly the most heinous violence I've ever seen on film. And the fact that you can watch that in a mainstream movie theater is a win for horror somehow, you know? Not to go too heavy into spoiler territories, and Martin brings this up on our main episode about it too, is the the whole arm chopping and skinning sequence is like truly repulsive shit. Like he's he's a demented dude. And then when I got to interview him, I was like, oh, this guy... You know what? Maybe I shouldn't be shocked by this, but he just seems like a really nice dad from Queens. That's so fucking funny. I, I, yeah, I, I can't even, I, I feel like I was offered him in the, in, on Terrifier one and was like, I don't want to talk to that fucking guy, <laughs> even yeah. though I liked the movie. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good off talking to that, the twisted mind behind Terrifier. But yeah, I love finding out that those people are like just the nicest, warm, cuddliest dudes. Uh, I'm excited to hear that interview. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty quick, but he's a he was a fun dude to chat with, and obviously just kind of full of enthusiasm for slasher movies and the genre as a whole, and like just feels like a guy who who is grateful that he's like, hey man, people are into this, and I'm just gonna keep doing it as long as people are into it, and then after that, I'll probably just go sell insurance or something. <laughs> well, did he tell you his plans for three? How many hours is three gonna be? Uh, he did not. He does talk about in the edit that he didn't mean to make a Whoopsies. movie that long is that he literally was editing it and went, oh, shit, this is long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get that. It, you know, I really started to feel it in the third, like in like the big the way it, it basically is leading you to this big showdown. And once yeah. it gets to that showdown, I feel like the, I checked and there was still like half an hour left. And I'm like, OK, this seems a little <laughs> much. Uh, My legs are numb now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But man, I think it was the onslaught of two and a half three star movies of which I watched about 15 that made Terrifier 2 really stand out as like notable and memorable. And definitely like if 
people ask like what the coolest thing I saw at Fantastic Fest was, I'd probably say, oh yeah, I watched Terrifier 2 and nothing else even came close to that level of visceral uh, fucked upness. Even if I think the movie's too long and ultimately tries to say too much and then says nothing, I feel like. like it, it has all these, I would, I, I, I mean, I'm just excited to hear your episode on Terrifier 2 to hear anybody talk about it because I love that it tries so many things and it tries to appear deeper than it is I don't know if it is, but maybe you can maybe you can unlock why it is deeper than it is. Just like all the the swirling elements, you know, that it's trying to connect art to the victim and stuff like that. Not to disappoint you, but we don't. That's most okay. Yeah. Like I'm me just and fascinated. Martin mostly yeah. marvel at it the same way that we do to where we're just like, wow, people are into this. And yeah. it's like a real one for the sickos. It's so disgusting, dude. Like I, I I think on Twitter I described it as a woman getting redacted by her own redacted. <laughs> and yeah. I don't want to spoil it. But like that whole scene and just like I feel the whole point of it is like this goes on for way longer than any gory scene in any horror movie should. And it just keeps fucking going to the point where what does Damien Leone want me to th- like? What does he want from his audience? I'm so fascinated. I, I should actually try to interview because I would love to be like, what do you want from what do you want the audience to react to when you're showing us that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he, because we, we do try to interrogate that like a yeah. little bit because it's almost like, kind of like what you're saying to where it's almost like, is he like almost wondering why you find yeah. all of this so appealing, like sitting through this, this sort of violence, like to this level, like, is he like, kind of throwing the mirror back on you but also like there's such a sadistic glee to it that i'm like i don't think so i think yeah. he just thinks this i think is he cool. thinks it's cool exactly <laughs> and like that's if if you gave me I, I feel like when i reviewed terrifier one when it came out and I had no idea what it was i was like this is a horror movie for all the people who watch a horror movie and go man i wish they wouldn't cut away from the gore because like yeah. all it is is we're going to show you the stuff that most movies would wouldn't dare to like they, they literally would cut away from this because it's too repulsive and too gory. But we're going to put all of our money into the practical effects to make sure that it looks as trashy and crazy and disgusting as possible. And it's impressive as fuck. If you're into gore, there's I, I have to always give a disclaimer recommending Terrifier movies. But if you're into gore, like there is no better modern vehicle for gore than art the cloud no, at yeah. this point I'm it's 100 like, like it, it is a gore hound's dream it is the epitome of splatter punk yeah absolutely and you know as long and as long and as as i found terrifier 2 and like as much as that annoyed me and it really didn't ultimately because i'm still talking about it in such a way that i clearly love it um i bring on terrifier 3 i don't care how long it is i'm in i i want to i'm trying to think of fun things i could do with art the clown like predator style throw them in different different eras I, I i want more i need more well you i just hope that he doesn't go the route to where he's like what's the the obvious direction that we go with this and it's almost like an art the clown prequel you know oh jesus like, yeah i don't want i don't want any explanation behind this guy yeah um all right so instead of wading through the three star or two and a half star movies that we sat through. Why don't we just do this? What's the top three movies 
we both saw We're like what are the three that we totally like fell in love with and they can be uh little indie gems or one of the bigger ones because there is one bigger one that i realized we haven't covered that might be my favorite movie of the year um but let's oh. do oh yeah let's... i saw that too i did see that but i didn't I di yeah i didn't love as much as you did but i did like it um... Let, let's do the three movies that we love the most okay um... now what you go first what's your let's say number three my number three at the festival would probably like out of the ones we haven't mentioned yet um oh tropic let's go with tropic this actually might be i don't know how the rank is going to work but tropic was profoundly gutting a movie that has stuck in my cross since i saw it it's a movie that like is set in the future and is ostensibly about like astronauts preparing for a mission but that's really just a backdrop it uses that futuristic sci-fi horror setting not as a premise but just a backdrop to tell like this deeply human story about jealousy and so much more i'm not sure if this is the type of movie that people would want out of fantastic fest to be honest with you because it's positioned as a sci-fi film but it's really just a very human drama but man it's this movie about like two brothers um I actually just had seen it the day after watching Avatar and I can actually make a really strange comparison that it's almost you know how in Avatar, how Jake Sully's brother dies and like, that's why he gets to go. Yeah. It's kind of like that idea, but a small human drama about the jealousy of like when your brother could do something that you can't do. And it also involves like sci-fi horror shit. Like this guy gets infected by something and it causes him to mutate and look like the elephant man and that like ruins his life and it's kind of about what happens to the dude after that so like the sci-fi stuff is totally background but man quietly devastating meditative art house shit that i really think you would like and i think people would like but definitely asterisk that it's not like typical genre fair but that's great that's what's great about the festival is you can find shit like this in the midst of all that stuff yeah, I have a screener of it, and I, I need to check that one out. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, so but I'm really excited for it. If I had a number three, I want to say Something in the Dirt. That's another one of my favorite movies, oh. but I feel like that's cheating a little bit because I saw that out of Sundance Me too. originally. Yeah. I saw um, it at Sundance and loved it so much. I love those guys. That's a Benson Moorhead joint. Yeah. It's so great, but I don't want to include that as my pick for Fantastic Fest just because I, I'd seen it so long ago at this point. Um, so I'm going to go with this could easily be my number one movie, too, um, because the, I think the good stuff this year is so fucking good that like yeah. it, it really has stuck with me. Uh, Country Gold, uh, the Mickey Reese, oh, faux Garth Brooks biopic where he plays Garth Brooks. And it's like his companion piece to he had he made this abstract, strange um, Elvis biopic called Alien, uh, where it's all about the, the the thesis of Alien is almost what if Elvis, Elvis Presley, from the the uh, point of view of Priscilla Presley, his very young bride, is basically being like. What if he actually was an alien? What if he was like this unknowable entity that just transcended humanity itself and it's packaged inside this like 77 minute micro budget black and white art house like indie comedy? 
and Alien's fucking great. But Country Gold is so next level um, that, like, because it's Mickey Reese playing Garth Brooks, who in this is named Troyal Brooks, I'm assuming for rights purposes. Sure, yeah. Um, but he, uh, it becomes like this, he, he's on the verge of blowing up. It's just it's just as stark and black and white as Alien was, but he almost plays him kind of like a Danny McBride character, like he's this bumbling goofball who's full of himself and just kind of like talks shit the entire time and is really funny and trying to stay true to this weird like country boy uh, kind of persona that he has. But he uh, goes on a road trip to see, I believe the guy's supposed to be a stand-in for Waylon Jennings, okay. um, but it's the actor from um, his last movie who played the vampire. Oh, was his last movie Climate of the Hunter? Because that's like yeah, one, Climate- one, of, one of two that I've seen, I feel like. Uh, yeah, Climate that, that, of the Hunter. Was that uh, Ben Hall? Yes, Ben okay. Hall plays him, and it becomes this strange existential buddy comedy where all they do is snort cocaine and talk about the meaningfulness of the art that they've put out into the world that also has uh hallucinations to chris games that like garth brooks (laughs) does too much coke and suddenly hallucinates in a bathroom that he's chris games um it has all these crazy like animated like psychedelic uh, kind of transitions and sequences. And it's just Reese is one of my favorite filmmakers working nowadays. He's, he's one of the true like kind of outsider weirdos. And this is like him. This is probably his best film thus far. And like, you keep waiting for him to break out and maybe make something a little more mainstream, but he just seems content to make these movies that might cost like, a hundred grand tops and they like contain more creativity in 85 minutes or whatever it is than you know most you know big budgeted movies do in like two hours it's it's fucking awesome i'm really upset that i let this lapse this was sitting on the screener app and i watched a bunch of crap instead of this so now i'm pissed but uh i definitely will check it out i've only seen as i mentioned climate of the hunter and i've also seen agnes which i thought was okay but you describing Mickey Reese's alien makes me d- dying to see that. That sounds great. And I think based on the title, I thought it was like a what's that movie called? Blank Blank's Aladdin. Adam Green's Aladdin. Is that what it is? I thought it yeah, was no. him doing I thought it was him doing alien. And I was like, I don't care about that. So this sounds way cooler than what than, than what I thought it was. No, yeah, it's it's fucking great. Like I I think you'll really love it. Um I know some people are trying to buy it and get it out there because that's the other thing is a lot of his movies just don't have any kind of real mainstream distribution like his last two did. Yeah. But like he he really Yeah, I was like surprised to hear he has all these other movies. Yeah, it's he he has quite a few at this point. I think like 30. Yeah, he like, has a ton made. of credits. He's one of those prolific dudes. He has like four movies credited to 2011. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. and But like he just can't stop creating. That's the thing that's awesome about his movies. Um, but yeah, when, when it does get out there in the world and keeps hitting more festivals and everything, like I, I wholly encourage everybody to check check it out because I, I, I love it. All right. Right on. Uh, I can give you my next one, which 
Um, it's funny. The next two I'm about to mention are both French. Apparently, I love French movies. Uh, sure. there's, there's this movie called The Five Devils or Les Cinq Diables. Yeah, um, you told me about this one. I didn't get to see it. Yeah, it's another one of those. I am clearly have a type of movie that I like because this is another one where it's like genre trappings, but really just a human drama. And sure. it's like the premise is basically there's this little girl who has like an X-Men style ability to like smell things and like be transported through time. When okay. It's really wild and interesting. But that I would say, again, is like the backdrop to tell a story about human things such as did I make the right life choices, like having this fucking child or marrying this person or whatever, and like the repercussions of those choices in your life. And it gets through all that via this really high concept premise. And it's bolstered by terrific performances. One of them being, I'm going to butcher her last name, Adele uh, Exarchopoulos, the girl oh, from, from Blue is the Warmest Color. The, the other girl from Blue is the Warmest Color, who's not Leah Sadu. Yes. Uh, yeah, my future is, ex-wife. Your future ex-wife. Yes. She is fantastic in this. And she's also in the movie that I'm going to put at number one for arbitrary reasons, because I just had to pick three. But she's in both of my top two. And it was oddly, I just happened to watch them back to back. Um it's just one of those movies where like the story reveals itself naturally through the premise. And I was just so transfixed with it. And I had no idea where it was going from one moment to the other. And then it ends in a pretty impactful way. I thought it was really a hidden gem. And that was a day where I watched like three or four bad ones in a row and then got one. And I was like, finally, some good fucking food, whatever that meme is. It felt that good. is that is the, the, the thing about uh, the, the, the kind of, let's say f- festival glut that we're going over where we, we plow through a bunch of two and a half and three star movies. When the good ones do come along, you oh. are like really thankful. You're like, yes, nourishment. Oh dude. Yeah. My, my like entire, like I'm telling you when, when it's low and I don't like something, I'm like, why do I do this for like, why do I care about <laughs> this? Why am I here? Why am I watching all these movies? And then as soon as one is like mildly good, I'm like cinema. I love cinema. This is the best. <laughs> I am so lucky to be here. So yeah, that is the, that was a good one. So my number two is probably the only thing that rivaled Terrifier 2's bloodletting, and that's oh. Project Wolf Hunting, which is I've seen a lot of people describe this as like Korean Con Air on like an oil tanker, um, which isn't too far off because it's like a yeah. bunch of like hardened criminals who are basically being transported away from a prison to do something i can't even remember what there's it doesn't matter it doesn't matter this is a blood splatter movie yeah it all breaks down all hell breaks loose and they proceed to kill everything in their path until and i don't want to spoil it for those who who can go out there and kind of discover it on their own yeah it takes a kind of hard left turn into a completely different genre territory that tonally reminded me of like the Korean version of Return of the Living Dead. And like, it's just, it's totally out of its mind. Um, For all of our stuff to where we're talking about, we're even kind of intellectualizing stuff like Terrifier 2 or the menu or whatever. This is a movie that literally is like, no, no, (laughs) no, there is nothing else to this. We're not making some grand statement. We're not here to like rewrite like the book or, or re kind of make how, how movies are made. You want to see splatter for two hours? Well, guess what? 
we've got buckets of blood and we've got like a bunch of hammers that dudes are just going to beat people's heads in with. And I'm like, fine, that's cool. The blood spurts are so over the top and hilarious in this movie that I half expected a character to like stub their toe walking into a door and like have it just spurt blood the same way that everyone else is. It's It's just fucking awesome. It's it's out of control. Every everybody bleeds a lot when, when something happens to them. Yeah, it's great. Like I loved it, but it and this is the type of thing that I do like throughout the years, the the 10 or so years that I've attended Fantastic Fest, like Korean cinema is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, like they premiered a, a, a lot of movies there. I mean, hell, even with like Parchan Wook's you know movie this year, and they even you know, did a whole awards celebration and honored him and everything. Yeah. Um, and from what I was told was quite an awkward ceremony where like Tim League like bowed before him and stuff. Oh, and, like, Jesus and, like, Christ. Park Chan-wook was like, ah, that's good, man. Like, I'm I'm cool. Yeah, that's I, fucked up. I didn't realize until I saw like actual photos of, of Park Chan-wook that he like, he's kind of an old man now. Like he's totally entered like the cool old dude like version yeah. of his existence he's got the gray the mop of gray hair and everything and i just i wasn't there for it obviously but i just imagined that scene of him being like ah i don't need all this like it's cool like i'm just glad that you like the movies man yeah thank you <laughs> thank yeah, you somebody. can we play decision to leave now <laughs> yeah i i mean that explains in a nutshell why as soon as something i'm attending is attached to a q a i scoot my butt out of there as soon as the movie ends i can't handle the secondhand embarrassment of being in the room for those moments i truly yeah. can't i truly like can't it. anymore but what was your number one? Oh well this i not making a number one seems silly to me but i it is my like didn't know didn't know it existed and then was delighted to have seen it movie and that is the latest film from a guy i know you don't like I don't know how you pronounce his name. Quentin Dupieux. Oh God. Quentin Dupieux, the French guy. Dupieux. Dupieux, the French guy behind those, like I would say honestly, what I thought were very annoying movies, like Rubber and Wrong and Wrong Cops and Reality. I started to like him, I think, around Deerskin, and I really liked Deerskin, and I loved Mandibles. And he has a new one called Smoking Causes Coughing, that I have no idea how to even begin to describe. But it's under 80 minutes, like almost every one of his movies. Mm. Um, I laughed throughout and was so engaged and had absolutely no idea where it would go next. I, I guess I would describe it as it's about a tobacco themed superhero team that is like it's like the Power Rangers if they used tobacco to kill people. It's, huh. it's so bizarre. It is, you know, the most it's absurdist. It's like Power Rangers by way. I think someone on Letterboxd, Rob Saucedo, said the movie is a cross between Power Rangers, Quicksilver Highway, and a clown slipping on a banana peel falling into the path of an incoming bus. And like that is a very well put way to describe this movie, which just is like a series of shorts. It's an anthology. None of them last more than like 10 or 15 minutes. And it's just really this this team of, of Power Ranger types telling stories to each other and like the stories of the movies we see. And I, I can't do a better job describing it than that. It is hilarious if you're into absurd comedy. I'd imagine there are people who watch 10 minutes of this and will never think about it again. Uh, but I had a great time and I imagine it played very well at the festival. So seek out Smoking Causes Coughing if it even has a distributor. Not even sure if it does. 
Yeah, because a lot of his movies come out through like Magnolia. Yeah. And, uh, I honestly Magnolia. always catch them at festivals like this, and then I never know what yeah. happens to them. <laughs> well, because I know even Draft House Films put out wrong originally. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So, which makes sense just based on their sensibilities and everything. Oh, yeah. And they, they definitely love they definitely love the, the man. I feel like he's always programmed at the fest when he has a new when he has a new one. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. So my number one is probably the only big title that we skipped over. And I guess now we didn't purposefully do this, but it, it kind of works out to the yeah. show's advantage. And that's Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Um, this is my favorite movie of the year. Wow. Uh, like easily. Like, yeah, I just like flat out fell in love with this. Now, here's the thing. I'm a sucker for his movies. I think Guadagnino is possibly... Uh, the best director currently operating in kind of the the international cinema scene. I love uh, Call Me By Your Name. I love I Am Love. I love uh, Bigger Splash. And his Suspiria remake was my favorite movie of that year. So, like, I saw that movie seven times in the movie theaters. Like, totally can't get enough of what he's doing. And Bones of All is him finally coming to America um, and doing kind of his... God, how do you even describe this? It's almost like if Vim Vendors made Near Dark. Like it yeah. just has this very alienating outsider perspective on America that, and it becomes like an anti-vampire romance tale about two cannibals, but it's very much a, a vampire film without ever calling itself a vampire film. Yes, and, and like it could, could be seen as an allegory for, I feel like insert any malady you want. I feel yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's just wonderful. Um, Everybody like, gets there's two both main uh, uh, Timothy Calame and um, Mark Rylance get to wear some silly hats, which I enjoy. Yeah. A lot of Very silly nice. hats. Uh, Taylor nice Russell's hat. quite good in it. Oh, she's so good. I love her in the not very good but watchable Escape Room franchise. So I was yes. delighted to see her here. Why did I? You know what? I already had you pegged for a fan of that franchise for whatever <laughs> reason. Or I was like, if, if anybody appreciates these movies, it's yeah, Brett. it's the Diet Saw franchise, the PG thirteen Saw franchise. Yeah, have a, I love exactly. It. It's the it's the RL Stein uh, <laughs> to the to Saw's Stephen King or even Saw's Dean Koontz. I would probably say <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, and- I love about the second one to go on an escape room tangent. There's actually uh, uh, two cuts of escape room tournament of champions. And one of them, the one that wasn't in theaters has Isabel Furman in it has an entire different character arc and what? character that does not exist in escape room Two. It is crazy. We actually did two episodes of the new flesh podcast, my horror movie podcast, because we covered it in theaters and then it came out on video three months later. And we're like, this is a different movie. So we reviewed in both of them. <laughs> it was, it's very strange. Solid. Yeah. Now, and, and the thing with Bones at all, uh, frankly, is that yeah. it's like, it does the thing that Guadagnino loves to where he just stacks his bench of actors and lets them all come in and do like one or two scenes, but they're just lights out in it. Like Andre yeah. Holland playing Taylor Russell's, you know, estranged and then eventually abandoning father. Yeah. Uh, David Gordon Green shows up. David Gordon Green. Oh, right alongside. I mean, Michael Stuhlbarg 
coming yeah, in. Stu- I don't know how I said thing. that over Stuhlbarg, but yeah, Stuhlbarg is but incredible. But he yeah. comes in, he does the same thing that he does in Call Me By Your Name to where like he has like one speech and you're like, oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. You're, you're one like, of the greatest actors alive right now. Yeah, it reminded me of what is it? Who is it? The final scene of History of Violence where he got an Oscar nomination for like five minutes. Uh, that's yeah. how I feel of every Stuhlbarg scene in a, in a Guadagino movie. Like Oscar for him, please. Thank you. Yeah. And then yeah. Rylance is just oh. like... I've already I've seen some people be like, I don't like Mark Rylance in this. And I was like, I can just discount your opinion for the rest well, of my life. It now. reminded me of like, like, it's like he's doing like Rose the Hat. almost. Yeah. Yeah. 100 percent. And I, I, I love that. I mean, he's he's basically a Stephen King character. It, it, it's fun. I enjoyed that. But it's he's so good in it. But there's a. The, the other thing that I'll compare it to and, and the, the filmmaker that it reminds me of the most is Jonathan Demme. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. like something wild because like it's a movie that has such deep uh, empathy for its monsters. Yeah. Uh, in a way to where like in, in it reminded me a lot in, a, in an abstract sense of Silence of the Lambs to where like even mm. though Hannibal Lecter and Jane Gum are like these horrifying human monsters he never lets you forget that they are human and that they have desires and wants and needs and feelings and fears and like rylance is the same way like there's such a as terrifying as rylance is as the the movie's big bad let's say yeah um and it never again lets you forget that it is he is the villain of this but like there's such a dark loneliness about him that i couldn't shake totally didn't that maybe i'm reaching you saw funny pages right yes it reminded me of like the dynamic in funny pages where the the movie's kind of presenting you with like a this could be your future type of situation for the characters and like i felt like mark rylance was that version of like whatever that great actor with the hair lips name is in funny pages who yeah is like basically like this could be you if you follow your dreams, kid. And like I feel like this ha- is functioning in that same way. And I and he's terrific. I agree. And I just remembered the Chloe Savini situation. Oh my god! And how fucking haunting that was. Yeah, it's a good movie, man. It's a it's a good movie. I think I undersold it to myself. I'm, I need to watch it again. It was a one of those third movies of the day things, but I did like it quite a bit. I just didn't yeah. like five out of five best of the year. Love it, which I feel like another viewing might change. Who knows? Now, and again, I, I 100% cop to the five out of five is me going in totally just like Guadagnino knock me out, man, because like he it, he has not made a movie. I And surprisingly, I haven't watched his his HBO limited series yet. Um, and so I guess I, I got to cue that one up next. Like, I don't know what even they are. I don't know what. The, oh, oh, yeah. I haven't watched that either. It's been on my list forever. And did you know? uh sir about an even bigger splash do you know about this no guadagino recut the movie uh a bigger splash and it just showed at a film festival like it's already cut and done there's a listing somewhere for it i forget how long it yes i forget how long it is but it is kind of like absurdly long like it might even be almost four hours long that Um, movie's tremendous i'll sit through four hours of whatever he wants me to do i have not seen that movie since it uh, came out and I saw it at the and the Angelica in New York and I enjoyed it, but I haven't seen it since. And I'm trying to find out. Oh, the, it's 70 minutes longer than the what? other one. 70, 70 minutes longer. 
And he doesn't make short movies to begin with. No, so I, like, that's what I'm thinking. I forgot how long it was, but I'm pretty sure the three hour plus version. Yeah, three hour plus movie. It's called an even, a, even Bigger Splash. Because that's almost like the anti-autorist thing about Bones and All is that it's compact and it's linear yes. and like it's it's way more accessible than all of his other movies on top of taking place in America for the first time. So like, and because it's, uh, what's his name? It's written by Kagninovich, I want to say. And it feels like a more mainstream Hollywood script, but like he just brings, Guadagnino brings all of that European sensibility to it. And I just, you know, I'm a sucker. Like I, 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 every time he shows up, I'm going to like it. Yeah, I, I'm one of like, I'm a, I feel like the only time I call myself a bad horror fan is when I admit that I really, I prefer Guadagino's uh, Suspiria and I'm not a huge Argento guy. Well, uh, all right, know, all right. Let's, I know, let's, end, let's, end the show. Let's end not say show. things we can't take back. I know, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's it's sacrilege to people. And I've tried a million times and I, I still feel that way. But uh, sorry to have At alienated like everybody. Both. Yeah, I took all the good faith I just had and ruined it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all, it's, it's true. Well, Brett, this is great. Um, this is probably the best note to end the show on with your cancellation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm over. But thank you so much for coming on and talking Fantastic Fest with me. I think we've got some Hellraiser-themed things planned for the future for your podcast. I can't wait to, to talk about that. I wanted to leave that secret screening out uh, because it did play at Fantastic Fest on the big screen, but we're going to do a whole episode Same. of our our podcast in the near future uh covering uh, the hellraiser franchise but uh this has been great i'm sure we'll talk about again very soon and uh, thanks for coming on the show of course happy to be here thank you for having me all right we'll talk soon buddy later man yep bye <laughs>